0: Welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast, where the stakes are high, talk is cheap, and results are on the other side of commitment.
1: Hosted by a former addict, myself.
0: And I'm his wife, Jamie.
1: We uncover addicts' mindsets, showing that the talents you've created in your struggle will be the superpowers you leverage to heal your deepest wounds. Listen to former addicts share stories of how they've flipped the switch, including insights into how much we can believe in ourselves.
0: For those of you affected by addiction, we support your desire to help the addict in your life by raising the stakes and creating emotional barriers.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Business Addicts podcast. Today, we have a special treat. We have another couple, which is one of the formats that we love here on this podcast. We're appreciative of both Scott and Lisa for coming on the podcast and sharing their story. So I'll turn it over to both of you to just tell us who you are and then we'll go from there
2: i'm scott i'm uh 47 years old living here in muskego wisconsin and uh been married for 20 some years now to uh my wife lisa here and uh the fun of that story is uh married her twice so the uh Twenty years comes as a plus twenty plus.
3: That's twenty six, com- but that's but right. But
2: <laughs> comes as a uh, total of uh, everything from start to finish, and you know,
1: here for the ride. Yeah, that's isn't that nice, Lisa. He he loved you so much. He married you twice. That's yeah, that's commitment yes. there.
3: Um, I'm Lisa. I'm also forty seven recently, forty seven, and we got married when we were twenty one. Uh, which I don't recommend and will probably have a real hard time if my children attempt to do that. Um, But we were babies, I think just gravitating towards what we thought was, you know, hope. And uh, we stumbled a little along the way and found our way back to each other. And we're so thankful that we did um, because I don't think we'd be here. Uh, The people that we are today had our story gone any other way. So we're very grateful for our story.
2: And we have now twin boys uh, that are 13 and a daughter that is nine. So when, when we had the first divorce, it was after five years and it was only the first, the two of us. So at the time seemed a uh, seamless of sort separation and go your, your own ways and move on with life. But it gravitated back together and uh, the Lord had a plan.
1: Yeah, wonderful. All right, so can can you tell us a little bit about your background just growing up, Scott?
2: So growing up, didn't necessarily have the quote-unquote perfect home life. Had a, a mom that stayed at home and a dad that uh, worked a lot of hours and, uh, quite honestly, wasn't around very much. So uh, the relationship from the parents wasn't always necessarily the most cuddly and kind type of of relationship you know in my house it was always you did something wrong well you're going to get it when dad gets home tonight you know that type of of relationship so you know who's pretty normal kid really uh didn't uh, get into much trouble and really wasn't anything of what I would call too much of a headache or troublemaker so you know grew up we got by and you know, wasn't the pretty cool life that, you know, you had the nice shoes and you had all the cool stuff, but you got by and uh, looking back, it wasn't anything to really complain about or say that that's what caused my life to go this way.
1: So I think that it's important to just bring out not necessarily excuses of where we came from, but just, you know, our, our struggle when it comes to little things that can make a difference, right? And it's not is like I said, it's not an excuse, but it's just a an understanding as we dig into our past of no parents are perfect, right? No, um, but yet there is a reflection in ourselves of growing and looking at what happened and some of the inputs into our history that I think is important to talk to you enough to know that you've already done that. But just sharing that with with the group and appreciate that.
2: And and so the group knows, you know, it was a situation where I had enough positive reinforcement to become, in you know, the words of my father at the time, my job is to make you a man. And even at a young age, I did have enough positive reinforcement that it taught me at a very early age that you can get what you want if you work for it. So that standpoint started very young. And that standpoint is what took over my life.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I definitely agree uh, with that uh, from the standpoint of just loving work, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of addicts that love work. Uh, it's a good, it's a good honorable thing to do. We love responding to the situations that are presented to us. Uh, I think you're, you're a business owner, right? Yes, How, sir. When did I that... own a,
2: a landscape construction
1: company. And when when did uh, that start right out of what was the right out of high school, right out of
2: high school and just hit the road with uh, a hole over my shoulder and, uh, you know, a couple bucks for gas and a cheap truck and uh, got it going. And, uh, you know, what what as I kind of self-reflecting and going through, you know, the life and where I am and how I got here, it almost I I became addicted to more, meaning I, I wanted more. If you're gonna say here's six, well, I want eight. And if I go to the restaurant and you give me three options, well, I'm gonna order all three options and then I'm gonna have you make me something that's not on the menu. And by becoming addicted to more, that created a life of always striving, Always going. Nothing was ever good enough. And you couldn't appreciate the accolades. You couldn't appreciate the accomplishments that you had along the way. So it w- created kind of a void and an emptiness that family couldn't fill. And in my case, alcohol couldn't fill. It became a life that had a void that you were always. Striving and thinking, okay, well, if I do this and get this done and get more and I get a bigger house and I get a Corvette and I get this, I, I'm going to be happy. And you really realize it, it didn't make me happy and it the void was still there. So in my case, the void uh, started getting filled with, with alcohol and that reflects and goes back to the same adage I told you before. Well, if you're going to give me two drinks, well, I want eight. And if you're going to give me a decent pour, we'll make it a double. Mm -hmm. So it, it became the mantra and the way of my life. And alcohol became a habit, a way and a part of my life. So I'm working hard. I get to play hard. And it just became part of every day of what you do. You, I personally didn't look at it as going, well, I'm having too many. No, I'm just doing what I do. And I was probably, maybe I always thought about it as confidence, but it was probably a level of arrogance of just always saying, don't worry about it. I'll take care of my business. You take care of yours. And or hey, if you don't like it, just jump on my back and I'll carry you for the ride. And that self-serving is what created a a very negative standpoint for me personally, because I was always the guy that would help everybody and still am for that matter. But it was always, you know, if I help somebody and doing this and doing that, the payment was always a, a 175 of kettle one or this or that, you know, well, We'll just work for drinks and we'll have a good time. And it just became a way of life that it snowballs on you. And then like anything else, when you have enough alcohol and you do enough things, well, the inhibitions go down and you make other decisions that aren't very smart and wise. And quite honestly, I'm learning now just we're dangerous and put my family in a tough position, both mentally, physically, and all those things that, you know, don't worry about what I'm doing, just take care of the house and never owning that, you know, my mentality, my drive was all self-serving, you know?
1: Yeah, this is, so I just want to celebrate your vulnerability and sharing all this, um, that to anyone that might be listening that's still addicted in some way, He's Scott's done a lot of work here, um, and we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Uh, let's go back to Lisa though for just catch your story up. Lisa, tell us a little bit about where you, your childhood, whatever comes to mind, bring us along for the ride with what Scott just told us on your side.
3: Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in a very different house than Scott's, but yet at some some ways very similar. I think, you know, people who are addicts. Um, oftentimes have a codependent following them around. (laughs) And, you know, I think that I grew up um, with a mom who loved me and still does more than anything in the world, but with a dad who grew up in an era where women weren't really valued. I don't think he even passing away um, a number of years ago, unexpectedly, I still don't even think at the end of his life, he really valued ladies. <laughs> and so my whole life, I always felt not good enough. I felt that I wasn't good enough to just be loved because I was a daughter. My dad would drink. I mean, I do think now with all my retrospection, he probably was somewhat of an alcoholic, but you know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom for a lot of the years, and then went to work. And I would be afraid to to be home alone with him. We just never had a a good, healthy relationship. And my mom, he would get, you know, a few too many drinks and he would make a fun of her and he would make jokes at her expense. And he would, you know, he would belittle others to make himself feel better because I think he, you know, it, I do believe he probably had a confidence issue of his own. So then, you know, I find Scott who's very driven and you know, you could see he had this passion for life and whatever he was going to do. And that was obviously pretty attractive to me because it wasn't, it wasn't what we had. But if, if memory serves like one of the first dates we ever had, cause we dated in high school. Cause again, we were children when we got married, but he said, you know, my, my best friend's number one, if you want to be number one, you're going to have to do some work. And I mean, that's a red flag, like nobody's (laughs) business, but at the time it was more of a challenge. Like I wanted to, I wanted to prove to somebody I was worth it, you know, and so as dysfunctional as that may sound, you know, it was was a caveat, you know, to, to kind of want to, I mean, there was other reasons I wanted to be with him, but it was just, it was something that kind of was a trigger for me, right, because of how I grew up. So, you know, again, I think we were both kind of escaping the lives that we had grown up in and we merged together and then he started this business and he worked nonstop and played hard as he just mentioned nonstop and i thought to myself i want to have a family and i don't want to be a stay at home mom alone because i was already alone and i knew if we went the next step and had kids i was doing it alone too so we i decided to, we decided to get divorced and i think that deep down we both maybe knew it, <laughs> it wasn't going to stay divorced i mean we went, literally went out and got drunk After our uh, divorce hearing, we went to lunch and and had drinks, which you don't hear very often either. But our story is funny, if nothing else. But you know, we made our way back to each other. Um, You know, we had both done, I think, a great deal of work in between, but definitely not enough. Um, I think we, you know, you have to live some life. You know, and we were still pretty young at that point. But we we did get married again, and we had a very, you know, we've had we've had a lot of trauma in our lives growing up, but then also. We tried to have kids and, and that was not um, a good experience. We had lots of losses and lots of trials. We ended up having our twins and one of our twins uh, has a lot of medical issues. So there's another, you know, tr- tribulation and a trial. You know, we, we've we had medical issues for him, medical issues for my husband, you know, all kinds of things. And so our well-beings, our personal well-beings has, have really been put to the test and on the back burner. And I think... Scott's way of dealing with those was, I just have to work because all this stuff is expensive and I need to make sure I'm contributing in that way. But being the wife of somebody like that becomes extremely lonely. I I, I was so alone because you see him making poor choices or putting, as he mentioned before, putting us in danger or, you know, really pushing it to the limit of, I don't think we can keep this up. And you can't talk to anybody about it because you don't want anyone to look at him differently. I love him. Like, I love him since, you know, I was a child. And so you don't want anyone to look at him differently, right? Because we don't talk about this. It isn't who he is. It was something that he did, but I still didn't feel like I could talk to it. So I became becoming more and more alone and introverted and not being around friends and things like that, because you just felt, I don't know what to say. I am drowning inside. I I felt a loss of community. And my therapist just kept saying, you have to go to Al-Anon. And I went to my first Al-Anon meeting after inviting in just a couple of um, close friends. And I went and I just unloaded. (laughs) And it felt so good to say my truth out loud and not be judged and not worry about somebody judging me. And you just learn that you didn't cause this. You cannot control it and you cannot cure it. This is not your job. I I became obsessed with where is he and is he lying to me? There was so much lying and gaslighting and things that make you go insane as a person because you know what the truth is and you don't want to see it or you don't want to admit it, or you don't, you know, you're scared. And I was all of those things and reaching out to Al-Anon and reading and reading and reading and being around people and starting to open my mouth again and talk to people um, and go to church and find community is really what, you know, kind of said, I can no longer accept unacceptable behavior. I'm not going to engage in these arguments where you try to make it my fault. And this drinking is not about me, and you know these are my limits and my boundaries. And you either you know that you got to do you, and you figure it out. And obviously, I'm great. You know, grateful to God that He made the choice that He did.
1: Yeah, that's this is (laughs) so powerful. This is such a privilege to uh, to hear this from you guys. Uh, Every single couple that we talk to that's this vulnerable and this honest. Just so inspiring, and and we very much relate to what you're saying. So I'd like to give Jamie sits here on this podcast, and she's very quiet, but she nods her head and she's uh, very involved. So Jamie, I I want you to jump in here a little bit, if you wouldn't mind.
0: Yeah, I would actually love to. Lisa, your story hit me. Um, I might actually start crying. I'm not as quiet in real life as I am behind the podcast (laughs) microphone. I let Kevin you know, he really relates to people and connects. And we really want this to be about offering hope through your stories. But just know that, you know, the feeling of growing up somewhere where women weren't valued, like definitely a story I relate to. And as an enabler to an addict, I didn't know I was doing it. I didn't even know. I, I just thought I was solving problems and, you know, helping keep things together. And, and so you know, so much of what you said just really hits, and and like you said, you wanted to prove that you could. You know, like we're trying to prove something. Sometimes it's like, who are we proving this to? But I was in the same spot. Like, I can do this. I got this. Like, the more you give me, the more I got this. And then there was a point where I was like, I don't have this anymore. I'm exhausted, and something has to change. And then all of a sudden. It's me that has to change. You know, like I kept wanting to point fingers at him and I wanted to blame him. I wanted to blame the other men in my life. And the reality was is that I needed something and I didn't even know it. And so, you know, a lot of times when I am, you know, listening to other couples that are struggling in their relationships, I get that he's a problem. Like I totally believe that it was a challenge and that you felt lonely. And, you know, we want it to be where they are the problem and they need to get help first. And they're the more obvious problem, but there's something that we can do and what I love about your story that you guys even you know divorced and then got remarried is what I truly believe Kevin and I were actually both married at twenty twenty one so we were in the similar situation, and I believe that men, when they fall in love, like they fall hard, and that we are really they're women, you know, and so if I could help myself, then ultimately, you know, there's, there's hope for him too. And I'm not going to say that the men, you know, have to wait for the women to help themselves, but I do believe that we can play a huge part and more than what we realize. And I noticed the same thing in my own story. Yeah.
3: I think, um, one of the things, you know, my whole time with him, I just kept, I journal a lot. I'm a, a writer and a journal and a talker and all those things, but I, I would say, I just don't get why we're not enough. I mean, look at what we've built. We have this beautiful house and these families, and why are we not enough for him to stop doing this? And, you know, that was on me, right? That was me still feeling not enough. And I just, you know, obviously it takes a long time, but you have to just say, okay, I I am enough. I have, I am a good person. I have tried, but it isn't my job to fix him anymore. This is not my job. My job is to, you know, take care of myself, take care of these children to make sure that they're safe. You know, every time that there was an an issue, my job at the time was to, okay, let's just try to get them in a room and try to get them away from the kids because for so long they were young enough and they didn't really know it. But in the, you know, a number of years ago, they were getting older and, you know, my son would be like, okay, is this, you know, is this dad just super tired because he works so hard or is this dad falls asleep in his pizza heart? You know? And I, I mean, those are questions you don't want to talk to a 12 year old about, you know? And I just finally said to him, I'm done lying. I, this is you. If you're going to bring this into the house, you have to take responsibility. And I made him talk to our son the next day. And I said, I, I cannot do this anymore. And I, I really think, that by me stopping the enabling, by me stopping being so codependent and only caring about what he did and when he went out, I just went okay. I, whatever comes home, I can't. It's, this is, you know, I'll take care of my side and and you know he'll take care of his. And um, I think you know Scott would say we we just had this conversation. I think by me stopping that and stopping engaging in the process, it helped him to realize it was something that he needed to do for him.
2: Well, and you knew it. I mean, I think any self-respecting, responsible person, both in society that is a husband and as a father knows you can't go out to the bar and have eight drinks and drive home. It's not responsible. It's irresponsible to the people around me. I can't come home and walk in the door and be staggering around and ready to go to little league practice. What are you doing? You know? And I think the fact that I didn't have to argue with her at a certain point, I had to argue with myself then because it wasn't like I was justifying and I was making the excuses to her. It just sat there and there was open air. And in that quietness, you have to reflect and you go, you know what? I'm, I I messed. I I shouldn't have done that. And I, I shouldn't have been in the bar and I shouldn't have gone here. I should have, you know, the thing is always, well, I'm just going to go see Bill and Tom over here and we're going to chat because, you know, those are my buddies and this is what we do. And it was such a habit to make excuses to be able to stop, to able to go out. And those, relationships were filling part of that void that was there but it you know it was a a a really mundane emptiness still so while you filled your mind for the moment in the conversation with these people had your drinks you weren't really filling your heart and quite honestly that was the point when i really realized that I I wasn't so much, and please don't take this the wrong way. I wasn't scared because she told me I need to stop and I need to be better. I was scared because inside I started to realize if she's not yelling at me, what am I doing here? You know, that is just bouncing around in my head, my own self-reflection of knowing you messed up. And when it just bounces around, you know, when you have to make excuses to somebody else, well, you justified it to yourself, right? You, hey, I deserve that. I worked hard and I could stop and have a few beers and doesn't matter. I'm going out and cutting the grass, but yet I drank a half a bottle of vodka, but I'm, I'm, I'm fixing the shoreline and I'm doing, there was always an excuse to say why I was doing what I was doing, but when I didn't have to justify the excuse, I think that's when I became most scared. And it was like, it just bounces around in my head and bounces around in my head. And it was like, okay, you know, and it was extremely lucky. Again, I, uh, I've i always prided myself on being a man that takes care of business. And I don't care what you think meaning the people around me. I'm going to do what I'm going to do and I'm going to do what's important to me. If you like it, great. If you don't, okay, sorry. And that's that's a lot of pressure and a lot of weight to hold because then you know, you know people view you that way. So you always have to be better. You always have to be accomplishing. You always have to be doing. And after a while, you realize that weight is heavy. That weight is heavy. And all that weight does is make the other voids Larger. It came to the point where I had to really self reflect and realize that, man, what are you doing here? You know, yeah, you got this. Yeah, you got that. And believe you me, you know, I've got some nice things in life, but it still takes a lot of work and fighting every day to hold on to those things. And now when I realize I have a family, I have somebody else that I need to answer, not answer to, I have to answer for and that became an important part and thankfully she had talked with somebody who knew a guy that uh was uh so sober and was for a while and uh some words that I just said hey uh, have a meaning cuz I had confided in another friend and had gone to a few AA meetings and you know it a that necessary way wasn't totally speaking to me I've been sober now for a year and a couple months and probably the year before that, I was probably 95% sober, but had my slip ups and had my things and it just didn't resound. And there were some words that I always, I remember, you know, we, we would always make the stupid jokes. Well, are you going to go for one? Well, one is a half, two equals one. And on three, you just start over and you, you know, you could make excuses. Well, I only had one. And I remember one day, uh, a buddy that um, said he, you know, a buddy said to another buddy, hey, are are you going to stop and have one? Nah. And he kind of hemmed and hawed. And uh, he had said, you know, guys, I just got to say, one is too many, but a hundred isn't enough. And I remember, and this was probably five, six years ago. And I, kind of reflected on that for years and years of going what what does he mean one is too many and a hundred isn't enough and I think the scariest part is one day it made sense and it was like wow if I can understand this which I haven't for the last five years I see it I see it and for me I would I think I feel, lucky that you know i'm i'm fighting every day and 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 living the life of of sobriety for me it it's been a a, a mental challenge because when you're working 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 and now i'm trying to be a husband be a father you have more relaxing downtime that you're reflecting and you're thinking and you're seeing and you reflect that yeah, you really didn't make very good decisions, you know, and the, the lies that you would tell and the things you do is like, you almost become like ashamed that, you know, I always thought of myself as a, a good, great human being. You know, I help old ladies across the street. I pick up five pieces of garbage every day and I'm a good guy. I, you know, I, I, having some drinks and doing this stuff isn't, is what everybody should be allowed to do. And realizing that it was putting crushing weight on my wife and my children was like, you almost become like ashamed of it then. So in the beginning, when I did sober up and, you know, the fight was much more difficult, that weight started to actually just wear on you, you know, and you're going, wow, I, I really did some bad things to my wife. You know, the, the lies, the, the, just the deceit, the, the mishaps is, was, was hard. And, you know, the only thing I've gotten out of getting better is that the more I confide in her and the more I talk with her, the lighter the load has gotten where I, i always was it's on me I'll take care of it I'll do it and now I'm learning wow this always has been that I had pushed away but always has been a partner she was there for me when I I was not there for myself and uh, it's it's a a pretty exuberating and and liberating feeling to go wow I okay I got somebody here that's here for me. Even though I knocked her down, you know, I was never a physical or whatever, but I knocked her down mentally and shamed her and did things to her that she didn't deserve. Now going, okay, I, I, I have to own that. I have to take part of that. And in that ownership and in confiding and discussing and talking with her, the, the shamefulness, the the remorse, the regret, it's really lightened the load on, on me. And it's allowed me, I think, to understand what it is to be a true husband and partner and a true father and, you know, contribute to my kids and, and what's going on, not just throwing them money and taking them and delivering them to baseball practice and that stuff, you know, being there and actually trying to have a conversation, understand what's going on with them.
1: Yeah. Wow. I just definitely want to celebrate the work you guys have done in the last few years. That's that's incredible. And and I think even the humility, you know, that comes when we understand the shame that we've been ignoring. So someone said to me once that addicts are blind to a section of their life. And I think that's so true. Like we do not know how much we're hurting people especially the people closest to us. Yeah, a lot of us are like what you just described. We like to be nice to other people, but yet the people that are closest to us, we're not there for them. We're we're lying to them. So it is really powerful what you guys are saying and what I'm hearing even in a deeper way and that you're bringing out Scott from a standpoint of what mentally happened when Lisa stopped fighting you and you stopped arguing, you had a space there that you had to deal with yourself and yeah, that I, I need to sit with that. No matter where we are in the journey, each conversation that we have, the, the perspectives that other people bring to us are powerful. And what you guys are saying, it resonates very much, but uh, I appreciate some of the reflection that you've done. So, all right, so let's dive into when you made that commitment. What was the process, Scott, around the people that helped you through so those that my space? my buddy
2: said, you know, here, here, and I remember meeting him, in a, in a coffee shop and, uh, you know, him just kind of, I think being very, very casual about it, but saying some words and, you know, just little words of him describing his situation and what was for him. And at that time he was about three years sober and, uh, understanding quite honestly, how, how small of a world it was in that, Lisa had talked to a friend who then recommended this guy. And uh the one day that uh um she said, here's this guy, here's his telephone number, uh g- give him a call. So I hemmed and hawed on it for you know a couple days, and uh okay. So I I uh start dialing the uh number that she had given me and boom boom all of a sudden I look at my phone and it says, Gary, what the heck? How is this number? I've never, it's the dad of one of the kids that I coached in flag football. (laughs) Small world. And that made me like, you know, kind of at first like, Holy cow, this guy's going to know. And then it's like, well, wait a minute, this guy's here to help me. He's obviously been through this. So it made that connection and made me really feel like the people around me. I'm not different, you know. I, I I'm I'm always prided myself. I thought I'm feeling. I'm never judging anybody. I'm never putting anybody down. We're all there, but I I browbeated people and I I was judgmental and once. I saw that was him. That was somebody that was around somebody that helped me at football practices. And I had no clue, no awareness that it made me think, you know, one, wow, what a small world, but we're, we're, we're really all in this together. And he was there for me that day when I called him and it was a conversation at first, a little awkward to say, hi, Gary, you know, uh, um, I got your number and was told that I can contact you and uh, talk about some difficulties I'm having with alcohol. Like, is this right? Is this appropriate? And he was so open and so, hey, let's meet up. And I think the casual confidence that he had about doing it. You know, he said, I've talked with, you know, some people now and, yeah, uh, he's a business owner and a uh, a wonderful man of God that has helped me in some ways there also. But said, you know, I I've, I've helped people and I I have this conversation and it's not cookie cutter but you can take from it what you will. And there was a confidence but yet a casualness that he almost I at one hand I was like, "Well, he doesn't really care. He doesn't think." But there was a confidence and undertone that said, you're going to take this and do with this what you will. I can't make you, I can't give you a magic pill. I can't tell you the magic formula. You're going to take this and you're going to have to morph it into what works for you. And that confidence and that level there spoke to me. Cause it was like, does he care? Doesn't he care? Cause the, which one am I getting here? And he, he put me in a word and uh put me luckily in said, I got this other guy that, that I talked with and uh, uh I, he, his, his exact words. And I've told the other gentleman, this guy is really good shit. And uh here, give him a call. Well, he happens to be a pastor. And it was like, wow, you know, that, his words of this guy is just good shit. He listens. He understands. He doesn't judge. And this will be maybe a helpful start. And I have this group of men that we meet and discuss and his words, we're not Bible thumpers, but we're just trying to understand our lives and our place in the world here. And If you'd like to join us and I I joined and it's been a huge, huge help for me to understand and see maybe some of the void I I had needed to be filled with a serving and a giving to others and not make everything in my life self-serving and driving and working and doing and accomplishing because you know what, I probably really was a dick. Sorry for those words, but I thought I was the nice guy and I was the guy helping everybody. But you know what? I really wasn't. I was self-serving. And once I really have put that into my heart of self-serving, and I keep keep saying that word, but it was like I was doing things, but only at an angle to help myself and help my confidence and help my introspective that... It was self-serving and sometimes you got to own that and go, you know what? You really were a jerk.
3: I think that the one thing, and maybe you you may want to correct me and maybe you don't, but I think the one thing Scott skipped over in regards to his growing up is, is although he um, had a lot of family, he comes from a very large family. I think he was very lonely and Mm -hmm. I think that he felt, I don't, need anybody because I kind of had to learn how to survive. And he has been a survivor his whole life. And he, in doing that, has prided himself on not needing anybody, right? You don't need me. You worry about you. I'll take care of me. So us being a team as a partnership, as a marriage, or even extended family, which I don't have as much as he did, um, I don't need to go. Why do I need to be around family? Why do I need to be around people? And I think just now he's, you know, I, I think at my breaking point, I was very much, we've just lost any community. You know, I felt so on an island and alone. And I think that through this wonderful group and through our churches, um, we've realized that we are not meant to be on this earth alone. We we just aren't. And we are here to share our stories, to inspire others and to say things out loud because it does resonate. And we have had a wackadoo life. <laughs> and, you know, if uh, somebody else, you know, might also have some of those things. I mean, even you, Jamie, just being so affected by my words made me want to cry. And that's why we do it. We share our stories to connect and to help people. You know, it is, it is still a growing curve. He is, he was kind of a jerk. And, you know, he does, his first thing is always like, why does, you know, why is so-and-so doing this? And I'm like, maybe because it makes them happy. And you go, oh, you're right. You got me again. You know, it's a changing of your mindset, but I do feel like, he is so much lighter and he and he's so much more open to community and to to doing people without wanting anything in return there was always a need for a return and whether it was you know not like he said not financial or not whatever it was filling his void you know there there was never anything given freely because he never got anything freely and when you grow up like that you know it's a survival skill right and so i do think That that I'm seeing change so much. And I think that's opening his heart to, you know, again, why we're on the earth is to be part of a team. And to, you know, when we all die, it's not going to matter how many cars we have and what what the boat looks like. It's going to matter how we raised our children and and the people who are around us and the experiences that we've had. And I do feel like that may have not been your answer a few years ago. Would you say that's right or wrong?
2: 100%. That would not have been. Anywhere close to my answer, and to now have a level of allowing somebody to take some of my weight—that's that's huge for me. To go, hey, I I I, I need some help here, and uh, you know, to be humble, you know. So it was funny just before we started this uh, podcast here. She said, "Oh, are." are you nervous? Do you know you what you're <laughs> going to say? And I said, no, not at all. <laughs> and well, what are you going to say? And I said, you know what? I'm going to say what's in my heart and the way I feel because this is me. This is my story. I, I can't change it. I can't hide it. And I've learned now that by hiding it only increases my weight and increases my shame. So I've got to put it out there and go, here you go, people this is me. This is what I've done. And these are the roads and the ways that I'm trying to make changes. And it's working for me and I'm feeling great, you know, and I know there's going to be bumps in this road and things are going to be hard. But right now I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride right now.
1: Yeah. You're alive. You've, you've experienced love that you never experienced before. And that's the thing that, in in 20 minutes, we're creating a a deeper relationship than, than most of the relationships I've had in my life. Just by understanding how much power is put into your relationship after you've lived something that's false with the lies and not understanding what love is. And then you feel what real love is. And it's like, and I'm not just even talking about with your spouse, but like the concept of love, the fact that people like Gary will come and have love for us uh, as men, that confidence you're feeling that comes from just really caring about you. And he's felt that care of of God in his life. Right. And and he's like, I'm going to share this because that is the real power of connecting. How, how did this affect your relationship with God, Scott?
2: Once I could understand I think step one when I understand that I needed to be humble that that was a big one for me like I said when I started this out it was I'm gonna do me I'm gonna do my thing if you like it great if you don't like it okay this is me and this is what I'm gonna do and when you understand humility and how to be humble it creates a, a avenue and a way of allowing other ways to come into your life. So all of a sudden you looked at, hey, God is here. And I've been literally just pushing him away and pushing him away because I was so involved in doing what I was doing. And not that I was being a I, I believe a horrible person or a villain or a deviant. It was I was not accepting into my life what could fill that void, that emptiness that I was trying to fill with all these other things. And whether that meant, you know, trying to fill my relationship with a wife and 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 hounding her for sex when well, I was drunk. What kind of jerk was I be? What woman wants to do that? And, you know, going all my personal relationship evolves around this with her and her wife. And my relationship with God is just me being a good person, but doing what I'm going to do because that's what I do. And when you understand and you take that guard down for a minute, that you let other avenues and other roads come in. And again, I'm not being a Bible thumper here. I'm saying is it has like takes that weight off your shoulders once you kind of accept another way. And then all of a sudden I started noticing like a fuller feel inside, you know, during the day reflecting on, you know, we all have rat races and when this goes wrong, that goes wrong. You need to zig, you need to zag. There was a calmer feel because there was just a start of getting some fullness in that void and not that that void is full yet, not by no means, but by accepting and understanding that I need humility in my life and I need other people. I need a bigger power in my life. It's really made everything just so much easier.
0: Can I ask, Lisa, how it changed for you spiritually and even like you started to tell us a little bit about how you had to stand up for yourself and just realize, I need this. What else changed yeah, for you? I mean, I 100% was obsessed
3: with him. I mean, in as I mentioned earlier, I a journal and I have like a page of every incident. He came home and did some – because I just thought – I, you know, one day, one day he is going to tell me, I'm so sorry. Oh my God, I get it. You know, I get it. I just was waiting for that day for him to say, Oh, good, look at this list. Who, you know, and obviously that never ever happened. I mean, the, this today was the biggest gift, you know, of doing that is hearing him say, all the things he said today, I, you know, what a, what a lovely gift to, you know, kind of feel that way. But I, I, I just was becoming miserable and, you know, checking where he was and checking bottles and, you know, finding, you know, uh, you know, a booze in a, in a water bottle and my kid drinking it and it, you know, and, and all these things. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I, and then I'm I am on eggshells, right? Because he's he's super tense and angry all the time and yelling and um there was one time that I we were at the lake with my daughter. I was at the lake with my daughter and my daughter said and we I did something bad. I screwed up our jet ski. <laughs> and she goes, "Mom, I'm afraid for you. Don't go up and talk to dad. Don't tell him. I'm afraid he's going to hit you." And Scott has never once in, my, in our entire life ever raised a hand to me ever once. But For her to be scared of Scott, like I was scared of my dad, I went, I mean, it was a record screech moment for me. And I said, no, absolutely not. I am not going to let her grow up with a mom like I grew up with who didn't stand up and say, that's wrong. We're not living like this anymore. That is not okay and this is not okay how we treat people. And so I really do- dove into Alanon and you know Alanon is all about let go and let God. You know, you stay in your lane, you know, figure out, you know, um t- you know, t- detaching love, you know, you just love with detachment. You can love them, but you got to detach from the situation or you ruin yourself. And I was ruining myself and um, I think once I really realized, I, I cannot control any of this. I can only control how I respond. So, I mean, that's something I say to my kids all the time. You can't control you know, any of this, but if you can control how you respond to it, that's all we have in this life is, is deciding how we're going to control it. And so I really just said, you know, I need to go to church and I need to, to feel connected somewhere. And I have never gone to church in my life. My, my family never went growing up. We weren't, you know, we were not religious people, but, um.
2: And the same for me.
3: Right. You know, you know,
2: I, as, as a child, we went to uh, some church on Sunday mornings, and we didn't live in a, a great neighborhood, so the phone would ring, and the outreach church would send the bus over to get you. You know, we, my brother and I, would get on the bus and go to church. Well, my parents never went, but we went, and it was like I was wasting my time. I wasn't truly getting any message. I wasn't truly inviting anything into my life. I was just passing time and the biggest thing for that day is when you got home and you got off the bus, you got a candy bar. (laughs) I mean, you know, Sunday morning, man, I was getting the candy bar, you know? So the fact that I can say now I, I have an appreciation for going to church. Not that we go every week and not that we do all that thing, but I, you know, I have an appreciation to understanding the message and, and my, my, Tuesday and Wednesday morning men's group with that are a mainstay that I can, I can confide in these other men and we can take scriptures and we can take passages. But the most important thing that I think we do there is we relate it to our lives that are happening day to day. And it's like, wow, this does relate. This is part of what's, what's happening here. And when you take that, I guess it's, it's given me another level of understanding and, and a, a more calmness to a day.
3: I do feel like once I really accepted, you know, we have a, we have two different churches that we go to and sometimes I'll go with him to his and, and he'll go to um, me to mine. And um, I like them both, but there's one that I just resonate with um, the pastor and our kids go to youth group there. And it is because the pastor's my age. He totally brings it into the normal conversation. It isn't about, Um, I'm going to open the Bible and read it to you right now and then kind of tell you what it's supposed to be about now in these, you know, in these days and age. And so for me, I just really resonate with the down to earth. Let's just relate it back to what we're doing. Um, I've joined the church, you know, ladies group and we'll get together from time to time and, you know, I'll go and you're not talking about church. You're talking about family and kids and all of those things, but it is a community and it is, um, I do what, what searching for God has done for me has allowed me to get off my island. You know, I, I didn't want to be on that lonely island, but it was there for a really long time, and I'm not going back. You know, I remember saying when I turned 45, so two years ago, I said to him, We're halfway home, right? Like, let's be real, we are halfway home, and I am not living another 45 years like this. And I just decided that. That was it. It's okay to have a community. I'm not going to feel bad about talking to people, you know, about anything. And that's just it because I knew I was missing something, and I I definitely found it within that community.
1: Wow. <laughs> um. So this is exactly what we're talking about. This is exactly what we want to bring attention to and really encourage other couples. Uh, if you're a man and you're hearing and you resonate with what Scott's saying. Share this with your friends, you know uh, Create a deeper relationship with them because we have a power to really understand deeply where we are and and that God is love and Jesus is love. and, and when we feel true love from them, that, that He's always given to every person, and we start to feel it ourselves then we're our relationship changes with other men and, and with the women around us, obviously too. I just had a meeting this morning with um, just over coffee with another guy, and I know that he's super emotional and there's different God has put different men and different women in the world, and um, we're all different. him and I are very emotional men it's just the way we are um we're not the the uh, scott we're we're not necessarily like the you know, oh, I got to be really strong type of, but like just celebrating who we are and and working together with other men and really understanding it's okay to feel love and to give love like Gary did to you. It's not only okay, it is, it is what we're meant to do. It's um, to share, uh, like you said, like Lisa, what you were saying about with couples, like to really talk about just like the fact that we are all, struggling together like you guys have already highlighted i I love what you were saying earlier lisa about how it's just making you feel good to hear what he's saying and i think every time jamie and i have a conversation every time we're together on a podcast like this it helps us it's it's just releasing that barrier and just celebrating where you've come from and oh it's it's powerful stuff
2: and i think for me somebody giving me which is you, is Jamie, These, giving me their vulnerability, is, it's pretty crazy. And the fact that somebody is willing to offer that to me is is a gift. And to be able to understand that person's true vulnerability, like you said, you're not emotional. I'm a testosterone-driven, man's man, you know, dirt farmer, tobacco chewing, that, that's me. But when it comes down to it, what's in my heart and what's in your heart, we're the same. We express it differently, but we're the same. And, you know, you're, you, it doesn't make how you work any better. It doesn't work how I do, you know, anymore. If we understand and appreciate we're each the same and to accept that other man, that other woman, that other person's vulnerability is a really huge gift.
1: Yeah, I I agree. There's after the podcast, people reach out to me and they're just like, wow, what you guys are doing is very special. And I just want to just call attention to the fact that God is doing this. There is no way that we three, four months ago would have chosen this. No way. I have no idea how we got here other than he made it clear that this was the path. And that's the, that's the truth in all of these types of conversations and all the growth that we're doing, that he's behind the scenes. and Maybe I don't call a, enough attention to that, that he's doing this work. And anything that's this quality, that's this uh, powerful, it comes from him. And it's it's the way we're supposed to be he asks us to confess our sins one to another. And it's not like we stand up in church or in whatever format we worship and do that in that place. We have to create relationships outside of worship where we tell people what's going on. And I love this format as unique as it is, but it's just like the process of growing and being vulnerable with people. It's, It's God's story that he's interweaving into what we're doing here. And um, you made me tear up a little bit with what you said to, to Scott earlier, Lisa, because it's like, it's amazing to be a part of it.
3: I went to dinner um, not too long ago with friends that I hadn't really gone to and done things with for some time just because I guess I kind of withdrew. And I talked about my story and I'm sure some of them knew and some of them didn't. And part of it started was because I also haven't drank in a year and a half. Alcohol does nothing for me. It serves me no purpose of any kind. And it is kind of a negative connotation to me just because um, I don't need it. And so therefore I don't drink. But people ask, you know, people somehow feel the right to know why you're not having a glass of wine tonight. And, you know, I explained my situation. And, and at the end of the story, um, you know, or might not story, but at the end of the conversation, someone said, you know, at least I'm really proud of you. And I said, you know what, I'm really proud of me too. And, you know, that's a weird thing to say out loud, right? Like, I mean, you know, you don't go walking around saying I'm, I'm proud of myself, but we have, blood, sweat and tears, this life, you know, that we are living. And I am really proud of us and we have overcome so much in our life. And, um, you know, I I mean, really we've had two brain surgeries and a back surgery and I mean, just banana towns things. And, you know, this I think is what I'm most proud of, you know? And, um, so, you know, it is just, you know, saying the words out loud and, you know,
0: feeling at peace with what you're saying. Um, man, again, what a gift. So the part that actually came up for me and that I want to go back to and really it's asking Kevin to be a little bit more vulnerable is you know when you talk about coming from backgrounds that were not christian based we actually came both from christian backgrounds and yet i walked into you know someone that came in with a porn addiction that i didn't understand What that was, I didn't understand that it wouldn't go away. I didn't know anything about addiction. I didn't know about Al-Anon. You know, I wouldn't have known. And I guess the way that, you know, some of this stuff works is there's there aren't even a lot of options for enablers that are dealing with addicts that aren't alcoholic addicts, you know, and so. But really, what we started to realize is that Kevin was showing up. What was hurting me was seeing this hypocrisy, you know, like showing up in church but then being a different person behind the scenes. And so we we really got to the point of calling out that it's almost like an unbeliever, like really believing that he is there for us. And so I'm wondering if Kevin would be a little vulnerable about that. Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah. So I, I would say that it's the way I read the Bible now has changed. The way that I used to read it was that. Just like you were expressing, Scott, it's the same attitude. I am a Christian. I'm working on myself. Oh, I just found out how I need to pray. And so when I pray that way, then everything will be better. Uh, you know, I'd heard this message from this person. So now I'm okay. And justify that to myself and then justify that to others. But it's coming from a very high hypocrisy standpoint. In other words, it's me is a big part of that right it's a self righteousness like because god gave me these messages i somehow have some power or i'm okay because of that and maybe i it's hard for me to even express some of it but i know it came from a well i'm i'm religious so therefore i'm okay and he's working with me and this will go away and and until i really get to the point of Jamie coming and saying, I'm done with this. We're not We're not doing this anymore. I don't care how many people know that you're a hypocrite. That doesn't matter to me. And until I acknowledge my own self-righteousness issues and I start to read the Bible as, you know what? I'm the Pharisee. I'm not the, the disciple. I'm the Pharisee. I'm the one that thinks I know what I'm doing and has no idea because the results in my life are nothing like the disciples. They're they're not according to what we know is possible. I'm not the one walking away from Jesus after he said to to them, go and sin no more, and not sinning. Uh, I am the one that's there pointing the finger at him. Until I put myself in that place, then uh, I, there is no, no help. And then, like you said, Scott, that uh, at that point, then you're humble enough to really say, okay, so this is what I have done. And um, for me, it was other people that came along that he gave me to, just like you, uh, just like, uh, what's his name? Gary. Gary, sorry. If you want to add anything to that, Scott. In accepting
2: the humility is so huge because, just, do you really understand and know what it mean to be a humble person? Right you always you know you, you're humble when you succeed, right? Because i I oh oh, thank you for telling me how good I am or how good of a job that was. oh no, I'm you don't have to tell me that I'm humble no that's that's not true humility. and when you truly accept your own shortcomings, your own mistakes, that's humility, and when you accept that. I think you understand that you're a sinner and that you need Christ in your life. It creates a room where you can say, fill up my void, please help me. And the the avenue, the the space to do that is such an enjoyment for me to say, come into my life, please take some of this weight that has been weighing me down for me trying to be perfect for me trying to lead the way. And when you release some of that weight, Oh my God. Oh my God. Let me tell you, you know, every relationship, every feeling, every thought becomes more accepting and, and, and more appreciated.
1: Yeah. I think that I just like to say to anyone that's listening that, if we're justifying where we are in any way, that's a sign that we aren't at the bottom, right? Because when you're at the bottom, you don't need to justify anything else. You you understand that the God has given you the power to choose. At that point, you understand that all your choices that you made in your selfish way, they just hurt people. And you're just you're just down to nothing. And that's where we have to start is you know, is at that place of like, okay, you know what? I I, I did everything I thought was right, and it, it just hurt people. It hurt me, right? Okay, so I'm going to start with forgiving me, forgive myself, and I'm going to forgive anyone that even subconsciously I, I thought was a part of that. And, and then I'm going to start over as someone that doesn't know all how to do it, as a little child, as the scripture tells us, and he's going to tell me how to. And at that point, then we're at a place where we're open to wherever the help comes from, right? Like the, the person, the neighbor might be the person that helps us. Who, who who knows who he's going to bring into our life to help us? We, we can't control that. He's decided to, to take us under his wing and like you said, fill the void that we've been trying for forever, even if it, as it was in my case, from a Christian's perspective, that even what I thought I was doing that was right, that I was listening to, it wasn't their problem. It was my problem. Um, the people are giving me good messages and I'm translating them in my head, um, for whatever reason, many reasons.
0: Thank you both. This has been really, really helpful. And I really, it helps to connect with more women that have been through it and to really just embrace that it's affecting more than just, I mean, we know that it's affecting families We know that it's affecting the kids. You know, Lisa, you shared a story in the beginning a little bit about the kids, and it made me think about Kevin. And, you know, for some reason, like this should have been the day when I I don't agree and and don't want to shit on myself, but technically it was so obvious that something is wrong that it should have been the day that I saw something, but I wasn't in a place to still see it. And so I came home one time and the three boys, I'm going to guess their ages, maybe four, six, and eight, um, were pounding on the door, the basement door, to try and get Kevin's attention while he's sitting uh, behind the locked door in the workroom in the basement with headphones on and gaming because he doesn't want to deal with the kids. And it wasn't just that he was feeding his addiction necessarily at that time but it was because his brain had not developed you know enough emotional intelligence to be able to say hey I'm the parent I'm the one that's supposed to be on the outside of the door and instead it was like I can't deal with you guys anymore I'm going to lock the door and I come home to this and this was still like okay my first reaction is we've got a problem But my reaction is, I just want to kind of yell at you and be like, How do you not see that this is a problem? Instead of stopping, engaging, and going, You need to get help. You do not have the emotional capacity for me to even leave our kids, not just my kids, our kids with you. And so at this point, you know, maybe if I would have recognized that and said, "Um, Next time I will hire a sitter. You know, because I can trust them more more than I can trust you. Maybe that would have created more awareness early on. But I didn't know. I didn't know that as an addict, he didn't have emotional intelligence developed enough. Like I didn't, I just didn't know all these things. And so I really want to speak to anyone else that doesn't know that there are things that we need to learn. I didn't grow up learning about addiction at the level, I didn't know I was going to need to know about addiction. And so the things that I didn't know were affecting both of us and our family.
3: Yeah, I mean so many, you know, times, you know, with my little list of all of all of the, you know, events and so many times that I knew I was being lied to and so many times that I had to, you know, scoop him all up and get him in another room so he would pass out. You know, all of those things, you you, you know and then just waiting to yell at him the mo- in the morning when he could comprehend what I'm saying instead of just, you know, all of those things. And I think you know, we do for so long just, you know, want to fix it and make it right and whatever. And I do think the only way that we help others not be in it as long as you are in it is to to share your voice and, and talk to people so they can hear you. And I, again, those, you know, first Al-Anon meetings for me was the life raft, you know, just knowing You know, I mean, you think of alcoholics as someone who drinks every day and who's, you know, looks a certain way and has got a bottle of, you know, whatever. And that certainly wasn't Scott. You know, he was functioning. He was a functioning alcoholic and he certainly didn't drink every day. But again, when he did, it was zero to a hundred. You know, there was, there was no in between and, and, um, you just never knew what you were going to get. And, um, no one should live like that. That's not normal. And, um, you know, me, you know, watching my mom not speak up, right? And you just, okay, I'm not going to speak up because, you know, even as loud and, you know, as obnoxious as I kind of am in general, (laughs) um, you know, you just want to keep the peace somehow, you know, you don't want to disrupt it for the kids and whatever. And the more and more they saw me Okay everybody we need to be quiet and okay I mean my behaviors were so messed up too you know like I just I was like okay this has to stop and if I don't stop it it's not stopping and um you know I do wish more women you know had places I mean finding an Al anon you know place wasn't easy you know and you think it should be but it, it wasn't that easy and then of course you know, 2020 hit, and then you couldn't even see anybody in person. And, you know, there were all these obstacles to overcome, but there isn't a, a, too many obstacles to do it. You just have to just to, to decide. And I think once you decide and it makes an impact on you, you know, it is. And I, I do wish more women would talk about it because I, I know the more you talk about anything, the more people you help.
1: This has been uh, amazing. And we're thankful very much for the experience with you guys and appreciate the courage of all of us on this call and even just the, the ask to the rest of the world to talk about it more and to get it, get the conversation going. Um, if we can use this podcast to do that, we appreciate you doing that. And we appreciate just the fact that you're being vulnerable enough to even listen and so those of you who are listening regularly, following the story, if you want to rate how we're doing, if you're liking what we're doing, and that gives us some feedback because we don't necessarily get to talk to you, you as a listener. And then just lastly, if there's anything we want, you want more of or that you want to see added or if you want to be on the podcast, uh, send us an email at info at businessaddictspodcast.com. So with that, we appreciate Lisa and Scott and looking forward to drawing together
0: thank you for tuning in. And to stay in touch, email us at info at businessaddictspodcast.com.